0: We're going to be pick up where we left off uh, last week in uh, Galatians chapter 4, and again the, the first half of Galatians chapter 5, and um, we left off at verse 21, what really happens is, is Paul in his discussion about the that the promise of God made to Abraham was Jesus, and that the promise was fulfilled in Jesus and not the law. And that the law, while the law is important, that the law can't save you. And this whole business of them, uh, the Judaizers, these Jewish guys trying to make Christians uh, come to the law and be circumcised. And the problems with that, that's not the promise. And, and, and that's not what it was all about. And, and I'm not going to rehash all that. But he gives an illustration. Now, what's interesting, an illustration has three parts. It has historical, allegorical, and personal. I'll be honest with you. When I come to this part in Galatians, I just like speed read this. You know, I don't. I got. I don't know if you do this. There are parts, like when I, certain things I come to, I'm like, oh man, I got to get through this. They're, you know, and like Lamentations. I mean, Lamentations. It's like I just skip Lamentations. The reason I don't read the Bible through in a year is because I don't want to read Lamentations every year, man. I don't want to read it but once or twice in my life. And uh, it's good. It's good if you're Jewish. And it's good if you maybe live back in the time of Jeremiah. Uh, but when you're a 21st century, uh, you know, Gentile Christian, Lamentations is tough. And and this is one of those things that's kind of tough because. It's an illustration that really pertains, kind of, to the Jewish factor that, that they had back then. But really, it, it's got some important implications for the discussion and the argument. So here's what Paul says in verse 21. I kind of read 21 last week. Uh, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? You want to be under the law. You want to be guided by the law. Do you not even know it? Verse 22 and 23, he gives an illust- he starts the illustration. It's historical. It is written, We go back to Genesis 16, it, uh, that uh, Abraham had two sons, one by the bond woman and one by the free woman. In other words, the free woman was his wife Sarah, the bond woman was her maidservant Hagar. And so he had, before he had Isaac, the son of promise, he illegitimately had Ishmael through Hagar. Okay? And so Hagar represents the slavery, slavery to the law. Sarah represents freedom. Now it seems odd that that the wife of Abraham, and you know, Abraham you know, technically was the first Jew, you know, that she would represent freedom and the slave would represent the law. But remember, the law wasn't in effect yet. <laughs> now, he, there was no law. The law that came to Moses wasn't in effect yet. So he said, but the son by the bondwoman, that Hagar, was born according to the flesh, and the son by the f- three woman through the promise. In other words, the birth of Ishmael was just through the flesh. In other words, it was just a normal birth. Isaac, still a normal birth, but it was also somewhat supernatural because Sarah was too old to have any kids. But not only that, it was actually the child of promise. So, what made Isaac's birth important wasn't the supernatural aspect or the fact that Sarah was beyond uh, childbirth. And by the way, it was not supernatural in the way that that Jesus' birth was supernatural. It wasn't like that. That was the the unique one time only. But it was just that she was beyond uh, childbearing age, but it was because of a promise. So, the promise was coming through Sarah. It's back in Genesis 16. So, that's the historical part of the illustration. Then he gets to allegorically speaking, verse 24 through 27, allegorical is just, a way, of, just an illustra- it's a way of describing the illustration. So he says this is allegorically speaking. This is symbolic. For these two women are two covenants. They symbolize two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai, being children who are slaves, she is Hagar. So Hagar from Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai is where they gave the law. Hagar represents the law that enslaves you. Verse 25, now Hagar uh, uh, is Mount Sinai in uh, uh, Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is enslaved with her children. So, you know, Paul Paul says Jerusalem as it is now, okay, which is the home of the Jews. And, you know, now this this kind of sounds strange because Hagar was a slave. Her son Ishmael was, you know, the Arabs. uh, Isaac came down and, you know, the Jewish people and then the Jews live in Jerusalem, but Jerusalem now is symbolized not by Sarah. Jerusalem in, in, in the day of Paul's writing because of their adherence to the law and rejection of Jesus was symbolized by Hagar, the slave. But the Jerusalem above, that is the spiritual Jerusalem, is free. And she, that is Sarah, is our mother. For it is written, this is, comes from Isaiah 54, 1, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear; break forth and shout, you who do not are not in labor. For more numerous are the children of the desolate than are the one who has a husband. So, in other words, the blessing, and I don't want to go into the detail of you know all the different understandings, but the, basically is the blessing of Isaiah 54 that applies to Sarah, in, as Paul looks back, and applies to the followers of Jesus. So in verse 28 through 31, he gets the personal, and I'm going through this kind of quick because I was supposed to do it last week, and I need to get to chapter 5. And you, brethren, like Isaac, children are children of promise. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are children of promise because we are not bound by the law, but we are bound by the freedom that comes in Christ, and Christ fulfilled the promise of, of Abraham. Abraham. But at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, persecuting him was born according to the spirit. And that's how it is now. In other words, Ishmael made fun of Isaac. Go back in the story, Ishmael made fun of Isaac and, and, and kind of tormented him. And then from that point on, the descendants of Ishmael would oftentimes go to war and persecute the descendants of Isaac. And so there is that aspect of it. Uh, and that's how it is now. Except now it's not the descendants of Ishmael, who are tormenting the descendants of Isaac, it is the Jews who are bound under the law tormenting the the Galatian Christians who are not bound by the law. So there's still a torment. The the enslaved, the, the fleshly, are persecuting or tormenting those who are free because of the Spirit. Uh, Genesis 21 is quoted. What does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free. So, all of this lengthy illustration As Paul is just saying. What, you know, he's illustrating what he's been saying. We are free in Christ. We come to salvation through Jesus. By, you know, through faith, we have the grace of God. Why would you want to go back to the law and be enslaved all over again? Why go back to the law and be bound to the law when you have been freed from it? The law torments you. And why does the law torment you? Because it keeps you from being saved. It's not that the law is bad. You know, Paul has said that. You know, The law shows forth the fact that God is glorious because it shows God's glorious expectations. I mean, hey, don't worship other gods. Yeah, that's good stuff. Don't commit murder. That's good stuff. That's what God expects. So in that sense, the law is glorious. But the problem with the law is we can't keep it. I say this to you all the time. We break the fourth commandment every week because we don't worship on the Sabbath. And don't go saying that worship on the Sunday is replaced the Sabbath. It, that's not how you, that doesn't work that way. We don't get to go back and replace parts of the law we don't like. If we do, that's not the law I'm starting with. It's the whole one before it. But, you know, the language, that's a bigger problem. You know, lying, that's a bigger problem. Coveting. I'd rather replace the covenant law, you know? You don't get to go replace laws. So with that in mind, Paul comes in what we call chapter 5. And he now begins to deal with the freedom that is in Christ. Chapter 5 and 6 deals with the freedom in Christ. We'll see, not next week, in two weeks, this is the chapter. We'll see it where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faith, and self-control. Here's a beautiful, beautiful passage that reminds us we're in free in Christ. So verses 1 through 12, though, he talks about the danger of legalism. The danger of legalism takes our freedom away. And in verse 13, 14, and 15, he talks about the danger of license or just doing whatever you want. Neither one of those are the results of truly being free. So, you know, in the first 12 verses, he you will see that he has... Uh, a command, a warning, and an appeal. The command in verse 1 is this. It was for the cause of freedom that Christ set us free. Amen. Therefore, keep on standing firm. That's a positive command. And do not be subject again, the negative, to a yoke of slavery. He says, stand firm. Keep on standing. He says, you're standing right now. They haven't, quite, they haven't gone over fully to obeying the law. The Gentile believers haven't been circumcised. They had not done it yet. So it's not just stand firm, it's keep standing firm. One of the important things that's taught in the New Testament, and Paul really does this a lot, is the perseverance. Because Paul understood the persecution we face. Peter deals with it, John deals with it. Stand firm. Stand firm in your faith. Don't let anything shake you from your faith. I mean, right now we're in a time where we need to stand firm in our faith for sure. Now's a good time to realize we can't let anything shake us from the foundation of our faith. Keep standing firm. And then he says, and don't be subject once again to a yoke of slavery. When they were Gentile, before they came to Jesus, they were subject to slavery. They They were bound by the sinful nature of their heart. They followed wicked, sinful, pagan practices. And, and, and not only did they violate the law of God, they violated every kind of understanding of God. They completely rejected the concept of God as it was revealed to you know, when they came to faith. And so they lived in rebellion. They were enslaved. Don't go back to that. And so command, to he says, stay away from it. Why would you want that? And he gives them then a, a warning. Behold, I, Paul. Uh, he says, I, Paul, say to you... Now, it, it, this is kind of important because, now remember, part of the, the whole thing about Galatians is that the Judaizers were discrediting Paul. So Paul has spent a large part of his time establishing, reestablishing his authenticity and authority as an apostle. We've seen all that. So now Paul reminding them that what, what they're hearing is something he has already shared with them. He said, I'm the one who came to you. Now, he's not bragging. He's just saying, I'm the one who came to you. So this is the background. I'm the one who came to you to share the gospel. So I, Paul, am talking to you. Listen to me carefully. He's a Jew. Remember, Paul's, Paul's a Jew of Jews. Before he came to Christ, he was on an unbelievable path to be a superstar, rock star, you know, a, a grade A, number one, Hall of Fame, Jewish, Pharisee, and scholar. I mean, he was brilliant. He was brilliant as a Christian, obviously. If you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. It will be for nothing. Why? That seems weird. It, how, how can it be that if I go take this, that I give my life to Christ and I'm spiritually and I'm saved, how can it be that if I go and, and do this physical thing, just to appease some people, how are you saying that Christ is no longer a benefit? Because if you truly understand your freedom in Christ, you would understand you don't even need, not only do you not need to do that, but by doing that, you are signaling your commitment to another way besides the gospel of grace. We're going to see that more in a minute. It, it It's what happens today when people uh, get caught up in cults. Uh, in fact, I was doing some reading uh about, a, you know, about an hour ago, an hour and a half ago, about some stuff in, in, in part of the church's history. People did some things like oh, That's a cult they were adding. They added to grace. And you see that, you know, see a lot of groups add things to grace. Okay, that's good, but you got to do something else. And, you know, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses do that. Mormons do that. They're, they're adding to the gospel and they completely distort the gospel. He says, you have been, if you, if you do that, in verse 3, and I testify again, I bear witness again to every man who receives circumcision. He is under obligation to keep the whole law. In other words, the package deal. If, remember, the, the point of circumcision was to be Jewish. So back then, if you were Gentile and you were a God-fearer, um, and a God-fearer was a Gentile who, who agreed with basically Judaism but didn't become a Jew. But if you converted to Judaism back then before Christ, or even at the time of Christ, you were circumcised and then you had to buy the whole package. You had to keep all the ceremonial law. You had you had to do all this, all, everything. You couldn't go into the temple still. and You didn't get that benefit, but you were expected to be totally Jewish. Keep all the holidays, eat all the kosher. You, you were expected to do the whole thing. So if you're going to do that, the expectation, this is the important thing, the expectation is you will, you will keep all of it. When, um, you give an example. We talked about baptism. So baptism is a symbolic act, and we're having baptism Sunday, and uh, we, we we understand from the New Testament that if you be, when you come to Christ and you become a believer, you trust Christ, then you be, you get baptized. That if you're baptized before you're a believer, then that's not really baptism. And so if you're baptized as a child, for whatever reason, it's not baptized. Or if you weren't really a believer uh, and you were baptized, even if you were baptized in a Baptist church, but you weren't really a believer or something, you know, whatever, it doesn't count. (laughs) It's kind of a crude way of saying it doesn't count, but uh, it doesn't. Or if you were baptized by a group who does not practice baptism, when what we, it's a technical thing, like practice, in manner and believe. In other words, they don't do it the same. It doesn't mean the same and you're baptized. Now, most time, we won't re-baptize most people because you don't have to. But so if, if we do this because even though it's symbolic, the symbolism is important. It symbolizes a new life in Christ. If you were baptized before you became a Christian, you do not have a new life in Christ. So it's that, but here's, here's the important thing. Even if you became a Christian, if you were not baptized <laughs> for lack of a better phrase, properly. And properly does not mean you have to be Baptist or you have to have a preacher to it. It means it was by immersion in a way that is symbolic. If you were baptized in a church that believes that baptism saves you, in other words, regeneration occurs, or you believe that baptism washes away your sins, we want to put you back on and re-baptize you. Why? Because we want to wash away all those false teachings. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> because because in essence you are a part of a system that is incorrect and if you keep that baptism it's not that you're not saved it's not that you're not saved don't get that error. but it's that you still have adherence to a a way of doing things that is incorrect and now you begin as it marks that you are following Christ the way you should follow Christ And, and you know Actually, Baptists, we have very few quirky things. The dancing and and playing cards don't really count because the space, and most people dance and play cards anyways, whatever, however you want (laughs) to. I remember growing up, you guys can't play cards, said the guys who were playing 42 at the fellowship with dominoes doing the same thing spades was. I never understand that blatant hypocrisy. But you're, you're under obligation. Baptism symbolizes your obligation. So when you become, when you're baptized by immersion in Jesus, we're, I'm obligated to follow Christ. It symbolizes, that's why it's important. Well, if you're going to be circumcised, you've got to keep the whole law. He says, you have been severed or cut off from Christ. He says, because that's what you know, circumcision is, it's a cutting off. You have been cut off then from Jesus. Not, not, that's what you mean, cut off. You're seeking to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. Now, Fallen from grace is a common phrase that's used there. And it means something different probably than what we normally mean. Normally when we mean someone has fallen from grace, we mean they have lost their salvation. But mostly what falling from grace means is that you have fallen from the way of grace. You have rejected the way of grace as the means of salvation. So if you follow the law, the law is not grace. The law is works. So if you go, by, you go be circumcised, if you follow the law, if you believe in any kind of work salvation, even if you believe that baptism saves you, that's why I want you to be baptized, because if you believe that baptism saves you, you are under the law. You are not following the way of grace. The way of grace says you are saved by grace through faith. God gives you grace. God gives you faith. He saves you. You accept that faith and you trust God. You receive it and you believe. That's what scripture teaches. It's what we believe. And so the thing about it is, if you accept the path of the law, it's not that you have fallen from grace and that you've lost your salvation, that you have fallen from the path and belief system of grace. You have rejected it. For we through the spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Faith saves us, not circumcision or even uncircumcision. So those people who might say, well, we're not circumcised, we're saved. No, God doesn't save you. Faith, faith working through love, the love of Christ and your love for one another. Then he gives an appeal to them. You were running well, who hinders you from obeying the truth. So, you're, by, by obeying the law of circumcision, you're not obeying truth. Who got in your way? Who messed you up? This persuasion did not come from him who caused you, that is Christ. Do you not know a little leaven leavens the whole lump of loaf. Now, what this means, if, I'm, uh, if you are a bread maker, you probably take a little leaven and you put it in there, and the leaven just works its way through. <laughs> If you're a craft beer maker, which eliminates everybody in this room because you're in a Baptist church, but you do the same thing. Let the purpose of leaven would work its way through. Let me just qualify. The only reason I know about the craft beer is that I have family members and friends who have done that, so I want to qualify. That's the only reason I know about that. Just do on me, you might think that I have a special experiential knowledge of that. I do not. Just to clarify that completely, it just dawned on me, and I won't sleep well tonight if I didn't share that. But <laughs> So, some, um, some, uh, there was a thing going on, I don't know how long ago, where they were making this bread that you kept part of the dough, and then you put it in somebody and you give them a loaf, and, and then they start making it. it. all came from one thing. I don't even know what that was called. I'm sure you ladies do. Men don't know that. Women know that. And everybody was passing around that old lumpy thing from somebody else's house, you know, months and months ago, which was just grotesque. You go down to the bakery and buy a nice loaf. Leaven works its way through. So, Huh? So So the leaven works its way through just like that evil. I have confidence you the Lord will and that you will not adopt another view, but the one who was disturbing you will bear the judgment. Here he is. I believe you. You're not going down this path. I have faith in you, Paul says. But the word who is disturbing you, they will bear judgment. So let me just say this. This is so important. Better to not teach at all than to teach falsely the Christian faith. One of my main focuses in life is that I execute the communication of Scripture clearly and concisely. Now, I'm not worried about teaching anything false because I, you know, I, no, I don't, you know, everything I believe is pretty much orthodox. And if things that I may differ on, it's not anything in major. Uh, But these guys who teach and do things falsely are going to be held accountable by God in a way I don't even want to imagine. Debbie was telling me something somebody, some church did the other day about their communion, and I don't even fully get it. They had communion with Skittles and... Uh, some tea, Arizona tea, because it was something somebody who died. It was their favorite, and I'm like, "Oh my goodness, I don't even know where to begin with that." I mean, I understand the elements are symbolic, but it's not a circus. It's not absurd. You teach people what is false. Gonna be held accountable man. me. Te- I'd rather teach fewer things and know I'm right. That's why I don't teach many different things because I don't want to get out in an area that I'm not sure about and make a full and get wrong. So I just teach one or two things. Why do you repeat yourself? Because I ain't taking a chance. <laughs> but brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Some accused him of preaching circumcision because. Timothy had been circumcised, but Timothy was Jewish. And in order for Timothy to have an effective ministry, with the Jews, Paul understood that it was different, but he wasn't, he wasn't fully a Gentile. <laughs> Only Paul can say something. I could never say something like this on my own. I wish those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Technically it means emasculate themselves. You're gonna cut yourself all the way. Paul says some stuff sometimes, man. I'm like, amen, Paul, can I quote that? So you have the danger of legalism. Paul's gonna go with the danger of license. Now we use legalism and license because they, they alliterate well, but all it means here is the abuse of freedom. So he says, you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not then turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In other words, just because you're not bound by the law doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. You can just live by the flesh, We're still obligated. And the law doesn't save us, but it doesn't mean the things that are in the law aren't still, you know, the Ten Commandments are still valuable. They're fulfilled in Jesus, which means I understand. But Paul just, what did Jesus do? He took the law and he summed it up into the word love, right? Love God, love others. And then, you know, I remember I preached that whole thing back in the summer, if you remember back that far. And when we just were in John, he said, this is how they will know you're my disciples if you love one another, you know. That this new commandment I give to you, love one, other, one, love one another. Just so, Jesus just narrowed it down to love, and that's exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying this right here. He's saying, don't look for opportunities of the flesh, but through love, serve one another. You need to love one another and serve one another. You know how you know you're loving people in faith? You're serving people. Serving people love, loving people serve. If you're you're egotistical, if you're selfish, if you're doing it for yourself, you don't serve. You may hold a position in service. Listen, I know a lot of people who hold positions in the church because they want the power or they want the ability to to decide what to do or they want people to look at them and think how wonderful they are. And I do everything I can to cut them loose and cut them loose quick. Because here's what I know. If you don't serve out of love, we don't need you serving because you're going to cause more trouble than you are going to do good flat out the truth. I had no problem saying that. I no, no, no issue with that just as much as you got to cut out false teachers. You got to cut out people who do not serve with love but serve for what they gain out of it because they'll hurt the work of the Lord every time. Now you try to redeem them first. I get it. And try to get them to do things right. I know all that stuff. I'm just telling you at the end result. For the whole law <laughs> it's fulfilled in one word or one phrase. And he quotes Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's not technically quoting what Jesus said in the gospel because the gospels haven't been written yet. Or you knew Jesus said it. He's quoting, love your neighbor as yourself. It's always been God. Even back in Leviticus. You know Leviticus, that long book that's also hard to read? And you struggle through it. But if you get to the 19th chapter, there's good stuff there. Ninth chapter, Leviticus 19 2. God says, be holy for I am holy. That seems like that's important. And then in verse 18, he says, um, love your neighbor as yourself. That seems important. So that's good stuff. But he says in verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Have you ever been a part of a church where the people devoured or consumed one another and snapped and bit? Have you ever been a part of a church like that? I remember the church I grew up in, Park Hills Baptist Church, I later went back to serve on staff. We went through a split when I was, I guess, 15. That make about, I was 15 that make it 1990-something, not make it 1976. <laughs> and I remember that, the last, that, that one meeting with the split occurred. It was bad. People cussing one another and walking out of, of, of the church. And uh, Debbie and I talk. I look back. The church I grew up in, God bless. There were some wonderful people. I love them. That was a dysfunctional church, man. They fought and bickered all the time. When I went on staff at Park Hills, they still fighting and bickering. God bless us. I learned a lot of things, then. I learned a lot of things not to do. Carry it over with me. It's hard. It's hard to do God's will when you argue with one another. How do you say, we love you? How do you tell lost people you love them if you don't love one another? How do you say, oh, we love you, but we're going to fight over something here? And we're going to disagree. I get that. Of course we're going to disagree. Next week at the business meeting, you may disagree with something. That's fine. That's okay. You don't have to agree with everything. We can't all agree on everything. We're so different. But you can love people in the process, can't you? Can't you just say, I love you? I mean, listen, you you don't don't always agree with your spouse, do you? I mean, guys, obviously, you end up always agreeing with your spouse, or you don't. But deep down inside, you don't. know that. You know, our staff, we don't always agree on things, but eventually they they all agree with me. It all works that way. Here's the thing. Freedom doesn't mean that we're free from love. It means we're free to love the way we should. That is the one obligation placed on every follower of Jesus is you love. So in the midst of this church, these churches in Galatia, they were going through turmoil. And these Judaizers were coming in, causing trouble. Paul wanted to say, now listen to me. I dealt with the Judaizers. Now I'm going to tell with the rest of you that th- those of you that already know that you don't need to keep all that circumcision and all that. the all, guys know all that. Listen to me. That doesn't mean that you don't love those who are struggling. Okay. You may know that you don't need to be circumcised. You may know that you don't have to keep the law. And those other people may be struggling. But that doesn't mean you argue and you fight with them. You love them. You help them through that difficult time. You love them through that struggle. And you make sure when all is said and done, y'all come out together on the other side. So here's the thing. Whatever happens here, we've got to make sure, even if we don't always agree, even if things are a little difficult, we love one another. Because the people out there will never believe that we love them or that Jesus loves them if they don't see us love one another. Any questions before we take off, feel free to ask them. And if you don't have any, which makes me a happy camper, we'll see y'all later.